Chapter 4 of The Half-Breed, A Tale of the Western Frontier, by Walt Whitman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Chuck Williamson. Chapter 4 Who could be more happy than Peter Brown's bride? She was a young and handsome woman possessed of much good sense, and a strong faculty of making people become attached to her. On no occasion was this latter trait illustrated more pleasantly than in the intercourse and friendliness between her husband and herself on the one part, and him who has been spoken of in a preceding page as the lonesome man on the other. Ever since the hour when the monk or Father Luke, as he was also sometimes called, united them in marriage. He had apparently found a new impulse to be sociable by visiting the house of the blacksmith. There was a considerable of mystery about the character of the holy man. No one knew his life. Sometimes he would be absent for months, and then would suddenly appear in his rude dwelling once more as if returned from a distant journey. It was generally supposed that, in these intervals, he went away to the convents of his brethren in Canada. No one sought to pry into his designs or wishes, yet he was by no means of an austere disposition, and might probably have answered their questions, had they seen fit to proffer any. But in the West, where everyone is in some degree or other an adventurer, few wish to investigate the former history of their neighbors. Inquisitiveness does not prevail there, as in some other sections of our Republic. Much more frequently than before, as has been intimated, the monk now sought communion with the villagers, and most of all the Browns. On the day of the hunting party, he came there, and though Peter himself was absent, he was invited by the young wife to rest himself and remain and chat with her. So kindly were her requests proposed, and so yearning, if the truth be told, were the lonesome man's wishes for some kind of comradeship, that he made little demur to accepting the invitation. The hours passed on quite pleasantly, each mutually entertained with the presence and cheerfulness of the other. "'Father Luke,' said the hostess, after a long pause in her conversation, "'I know you will not be offended if I tell you. I have wondered how you can be comfortable in that cold cave of yours, where they say you reside. The monk smiled quietly. <laughs> I have long learned, said he, to be content with coarse fare and coarse accommodation. It is part of the duty of such as I. And were you always content? Not always, was the subdued answer. The monk saw that his companion would probably have spoken further, 
had she not feared intruding on his wish for concealment. Daughter, said he, perhaps I have been looked upon by the good people hereabout too much as being of mystery. I have little that I wish to conceal. I will, if you have patience to bear it, tell you my story. Some few items, your good sense will inform you, it were better to pass no further. The young woman was certainly not so far superior to the foibles of her sex as to turn away from anything in shape as a secret. She made a gesture of assent, and the monk proceeded. <sighs> I was born in a country town in Ireland. My parents were in the humbler walks of life, and of all their children I alone received what might be called a respectable education. Even in my early boyhood I was destined for the church. When I was about eighteen years old my mother died, a sad loss to us all. A year passed away, before the end of which my father, finding the cares and troubles of his family to press heavily upon him, took unto himself another wife. I had a sister, a lovely girl, some two years younger than myself. My sister possessed in her character some of the most excellent as well as some of the weakest propensities of her sex. She was capricious and headstrong, but tender and very affectionate. Her beauty gained her many suitors, whom her whim induced her to discard, as they were generally of our own lowly condition. One summer, there came to reside for a few days in our village a citizen named Arnold. It was a dark hour for poor Mary when he made his entrance there. He was handsome, fascinating, and a confirmed rake. They met, this man and my sister. Arnold saw what a prize the place had hitherto unconsciously contained and determined to win it. If she would have but taken warning, for she was warned. To make the tale short, Mary, refusing to hear the advice of her well-wishers, received Arnold to her love. He protracted his visit to many weeks. Before he returned to the city, he added another to his triumphs. My sister fell. Oh, when will the false tone which pervades society make it needful to hold beyond the pale of its promiscuous communion the man who acts as Arnold acted? But what am I saying? From whom could such sentiments come with a more ill grace than me? Me, who have been guilty of a similar, and even worse course of conduct. 
a few months passed on and my sister's frailty could no longer be concealed our stepmother was a severe woman her cold and haughty looks and her sharp taunts drove poor mary almost insane my father too when he knew his daughter's disgrace expressed a determination to cast her off forever had our own mother been alive the case would no doubt have resulted differently she might have stormed for a time but at least the fatal termination which as things were came to pass would have been prevented one day my sister was missing she was decamped in the night and no doubt was wandering about homeless and shelterless we caused search to be made which at the end of a couple of days ended in the discovery of the lost one she was completely deranged and when found was seated upon the bank in a wide forest she died within a week from that time death they say blots out all misdoings we were all grieved and agonized at the fate of our hapless mary but none with that passion which filled my own bosom i pondered night and day upon the wickedness of her seducer arnold a hundred schemes for revenge were fixed upon in my mind and then abandoned happening to go about this period upon business in a neighboring city i was accidentally called upon at my lodgings by an itinerant teacher of sword fencing suddenly a new method of vengeance struck me upon the instant i engaged the man to give me lessons i applied myself diligently to my new study and within a short time had the satisfaction of hearing my teacher pronounced me one of the most proficient pupils he ever had i challenged arnold to combat he accepted my challenge perhaps you may wonder that in view of the profession i intended to follow i should have thought fit to act thus i was blinded by my hate for my sister's betrayer i was engrossed by no other thought than that of revenge arnold met me as i demanded whether it was that a just cause nerved my arm or that his was powerless with conscious guilt i know not but he fell when i left the place of the fight he lay there a stiff and senseless corpse my antagonist had relatives and friends of frank and it was plainly dangerous for me to remain in ireland i gathered together what funds i could raise on so sudden an emergency and fled 
I directed my course to this general country of refuge for the oppressed and the unfortunate, America. Good daughter, I am now coming to a part of my fortunes which I must fain hurry over with a rapid and casual narration. My desire for adventure led me west, even to this region, which, at the time I speak of, nearly thirty years since, was far more wild and uncultivated than at present. A party of hunters and traders with whom I traveled encamped on this very spot during one entire winter. We were in the neighborhood of a tribe of Indians whom they wished an opportunity of extended intercourse with in the way of traffic. There was a young maiden of the tribe of... Bah! Why does the tell-tale color rush up into my face and mantle it with a hue of shame? An Indian girl who visited our camp now and then, saw something in the young Irishman that awoke in her breast the flame which burns as brightly in the midst of the great New World force as in the populous places of the old hemisphere. She loved me, and I, I had nothing to interrupt the tedium of our long stay. We were both with the hot blood of young veins. At the coming of the spring, I left the place. Some four or five seasons afterward, I came hither again. They showed the child of the Indian girl, my son. I almost shrieked with horror at the monstrous abortion. The mother herself had died in giving it birth. No wonder. Never had my eyes been blasted with so much ugliness as that hunchback boy. Daughter, that child even now moves among you, an object of pity and disgust. Can you wonder when I tell you it is no other than the half-idiot, half-devil, Bodo? My wild and wayward course of life for the next few years I shall not pause to dwell upon. In the course of time, a poignant sense of my ill deeds and a sickening feeling of the vanity of all human enjoyments led me to take the vows of the order I now form a humble member of. One of the rules of our rigorous piety is that a full and open confession of any sins that lie upon the breast shall be given ere a man can become one of our community. By the advice of my superior, and prompted too by my own conscience. I have been aware that the least return I can make the wretched Bodo for having been the author of his existence 
is to do my best toward opening his mind to the blessing of the true faith for this purpose i come every few months hither i have labored diligently to educate and imbue with devout feelings the unfortunate young man but his besotted nature and wilful peevishness lead me to believe that my labors will too probably be in vain your look seems to ask me why i do not take him to a more congenial region for giving him the benefits of religion of what use would it be now no one knows the degree of relationship that exists between us except yourself and my holy intimates bodo himself is of course totally ignorant of it leaving the matter in the hands of providence and painfully conscious that not which i could do would benefit the condition of the poor creature i have made up my mind that when i leave this place as i shall shortly do to return to my convent and my brethren it will be to spend the rest of my days there and to see this spot and my miserable offspring no more toward the latter part of father luke's narration he had been somewhat interrupted by sundry distant shouts and sounds of tumult mrs brown deeply interested in the story had paid but little attention to them but now the clang came nearer and nearer and loud and agitated voices sounded out in the road near the door a moment longer and the door opened quickly and a man the elder brother of the young wife rushed toward her with his face very pale and every sign of horror and agitation oh sister he cried peter brown is murdered in the forest by the indian arrow tip the startled woman looked a moment in his face as if to assure herself that she had heard aright she saw crowding in at the door and out upon the road the forms of many of the neighbors then all swam before her eyes and she fainted in her brother's arms end of chapter four